thank you for all that you are doing. You are the God of the new creation. You are the God of the new thing. You are the God of the new song that arises in our hearts. You are the God of the new self that you give us by the power of your Holy Spirit. You're the God of the new heavens and the new earth that one day you will create in perfection. You are the God of the new beginning that you give to your people. And you are the God of restoration. You are the God of the turnaround. You are the God of redemption. And we glorify you and we worship you for who you are. Right now, Lord, we come to you as children. We come to you as children to receive from our Father, to receive from your Spirit, to receive from your Word, to receive from your voice. Give us grace right now, Lord. We ask you for grace for fresh eyes to see you with wonder, grace for fresh ears to hear you and marvel. Lord, where our hearts have grown stony and hard, we ask you for grace for a new heart, a heart of flesh. Fill us with your Holy Spirit again. Where the word has grown dry, we ask you for life. Revive us, as the psalmist said, according to your word, according to your voice. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen and amen. Awesome. Let's just give Dion and Luna a round of applause, a thank you. Everyone asks me, who is the guy? Who, who is he? The keyboard player who, that can sing like, who is that guy? So... This is the official introduction to Wednesday night. Everyone, this is Dion Davis. And it is a pleasure ministering alongside of him. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Luna, I think you left your picture up here. <laughs> I'll have Dion bring it to you. <laughs> Great job, Luna. Thank you, guys. Wow, as they were singing that song of peace. Just feeling the invitation from the Lord to contend for that. So thank you guys for listening to the Lord and choosing those songs. Yeah. All right. Well, how's everyone doing tonight? Last week we were in John chapter 6, the bread of life. And... Uh, so enjoyed that meditation just on who Jesus is. He said, my father provided for you bread in the wilderness, but I am the bread of life who comes down from heaven to give life to all men. And then Jesus takes it all the way to the cross. He says, the bread is actually my flesh given for you. The life is actually my blood given for you, and you have to partake of me, and you have to eat from me, and you have to drink from me, and in that you will find life eternal. And it was a hard teaching 
And again, looking back on it, we see the fulfillment in the cross. We see the fulfillment in his blood. But in that day, they didn't have our perspective. And it was a hard saying. It said, many left him in that day. Jesus preached his congregation of 5,000 down to about 12. (laughs) One of them was going to betray him, so let's just say 11. Any pastor would be fired if that happened. (laughs) The megachurch goes from 5,000 and 4,989 or 88 bolt out the front door, never to return. You would feel like a failure. I would feel like a failure in ministry. Jesus had no fear of man. He didn't care. He was going to be faithful to the words that his father had given him to give to mankind. Praise the Lord that he was faithful. Praise the Lord that we have John 6 and Jesus didn't respond to the fear of man. Guys, we don't need crowds. We don't need people. We need Jesus. (laughs) We don't need crowds. We don't need people. We need obedience to the Father. That's where the fruit is. That's where there's life. And then Peter, (laughs) Jesus turns to the 12, a little feisty. He's like, hey, guys, you want to leave me too? Peter stands up. He says, no, where else could we go? You have the words of life. And again, I think it was in the context of just experiencing the life in Jesus' words over and over again before that point. They had been in his ministry about two and a half years at that point. And Peter has had experienced, no, no, no. You have the words of life. I'm staying with you. Though I don't understand everything right now, how many of you guys have ever been a place of not understanding what the Lord is doing in the moment or in the season of your life, it's good to stay with Jesus. What if Peter would have, and the 12, what if they would have left him as well? Where would our New Testament have been? Where would the testimonies of Jesus have been? They stay with him, and they keep testifying to who he is. And because of that, we have John 14, 15, 16, 17. And because of that, we have the eyewitness account of the cross. Because of that, Peter's return to him after the cross, we have Pentecost and we have the church being birthed in the book of Acts. It really matters and there's real consequences for following Jesus and not following him, both for your life and the life of those around you. So that was John chapter 6. I don't mean to re-preach the message. I was trying to get round 2 in there, you know. And let's go to John chapter 7 tonight. Now, we, we went through the entire chapter, one of the longest chapters in the book of John last week. We did 72 verses. It's rather ambitious. Tonight, we're going to do three. <laughs> I'm a little schizophrenic in my preaching. So instead of the whole chapter, we're only going to focus on three verses. We're going to focus on, focus on John 7, verses 37, 38, and 39. That's where we're going. But first, I just want to set up the context of, of John chapter 7. Now, John chapter 6 was in the midst of the feast of the Passover. John chapter 7 is in the midst of the feast of booths. In some of your translations, it says at the beginning of John 7, or the feast of tabernacles. That's the whole context for John chapter 7. And the next chapter, next week, John chapter 8, it's the feast of tabernacles. And just to give us a little history of the Feast of Tabernacles, this was held every fall in the month of October. This was a feast of the Lord commanded in Scripture. 
And Jerusalem would swell to about a million or a million and a half people in Jerusalem and in the surrounding hills. And what they would do is they would set up little booths or tents or little tabernacles. That's why it was called the Feast of Tabernacles, little tents to dwell in. And they would go outside of their houses if they lived in Jerusalem or if they didn't, they would travel to Jerusalem and they would build this makeshift tent, this makeshift living quarters, this temporary living quarters, and they would live in it for eight days. And it was a feast of memorial, and it was to remind them of the Lord's faithfulness to them for 40 years in the wilderness when they lived in tents, when they lived in booths, when they did not have a permanent dwelling, when they did not have a land, and how the Lord sustained them. Two and a half million people for 40 years in a desert without food and without water, without crops and manna from heaven every day and water that flowed from a rock. Actually, two separate rocks. I guess one rock ran out. That rock in Exodus 17 ran out and they had to do it again. And I think Numbers chapter 20, I have it somewhere in my notes, yeah, number chapter 20. And that's when Moses, the second time, kind of steps outside of the will of God a little bit. And instead of speaking to the rock, the Lord said, hit it the first time. The Lord said, speak to it the second time. And instead of speaking to the rock, he hits it twice in anger. That's the idea. It was in anger. And he kind of claims credit for bringing the water out of the rock. And the Lord says, this was just, I think, a year before the 40 years was over, and they were going to go into the promised land. And the Lord tells Moses, you don't get to do it because you disobeyed me. It's kind of harsh, kind of not harsh. The Lord is perfect in his wisdom. But God provided for his people for 40 years. That is a testimony to the might, to the power, to the glory of our God. Don't ever let those stories, don't ever let those scriptures get old in your heart. He's the same God today, yesterday, and forever. He's that same, all-sufficient one who can sustain us in every season. He really is. And so they were celebrating this of God. Now, one of the ceremonies of the Feast of Tabernacles, it's very interesting. I was doing research on this and just filled my heart with wonder. I'll go through it, and then you'll see what I'm talking about. Every day of the feast, the high priest, or almost every day of the feast, the high priest would leave the temple. He would walk down the main street of the old city of Zion, and he would be carrying this golden cup. And the golden cup hold, held about four cups of water, about two pints. And he would take this empty chalice, and he would walk down to the bottom of the hill, and the people would be gathering on both sides of the road where he was walking down, and they would be worshiping the Lord. And they would be singing the great Hallel, Psalms 113 to 118. They would be singing these psalms. And a lot of people think they might have been singing them back and forth to one another across the street as the priest was going down to the pool of Siloam. So the high priest would get to the pool of Siloam. He would fill the chalice up with water. He'd walk all the way back up to the temple, through the courts of the women, through the courts of the Gentiles, 
through the courts of the priests, right to the altar. And there, he would pour out the water on the altar in front of the people, again, as they were chanting the great Hillel, and they were worshiping the Lord and giving him glory for sustaining them in the wilderness. Now, the pouring out of the water on the altar represented three things. First, it was remembering the days when they were in the wilderness. They didn't have a drop to drink, and again, water flowed from a rock, from a rock and gave drink not only to two and a half million people, but all of their livestock and all of their animals as well. They were remembering this because without it, there would be no people of Israel. Without it, there would be no promised land. Without it, there would be no Jews. And come to think of it, without it, there would be no Messiah that we believe in without the Lord sustaining his people in the wilderness with water. And so they were worshiping him for that. The second significance of it was that it was in the fall. And as they would pour out the water on the altar, and as they would do this for seven days, they would be praying that the Lord would send rain for their crops. And they were looking to him as the provider and as the maker of heaven and earth. And number three, the third significance that it had was they were looking forward to the day when the Messiah would come and they would be washed from their sins as a people. They were looking forward to the new covenant when God would wash his people from their sins, as it says in Ezekiel chapter 36 and Jeremiah chapter 31. And so, they would do this, the high priest would do this seven days, and the crowds would assemble for seven days. And the water would be pulled out, poured out on the altar seven days in a row. So after the people had worshipped seven times, on the eighth day, the only day the priest did not pour out water on the altar, we find Jesus standing up in verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day, after this had been done seven times, and the people recalling to their minds seven times the Lord's faithfulness in the wilderness, Jesus stands up. And let's go to verse 37. It says this, on the last day of the feast, again, that was the eighth day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So again, Jesus takes his place as the high priest, and he's pointing them to a greater reality. And I just love the drama of seven days of this remembrance, and then the eighth day, Jesus, inspired by his Father, stands up, and he's offering them waters that are better than the pools of Siloam. He's offering them waters that are better than the waters that miraculously provided for them in the wilderness. He's offering them the coming Holy Spirit. And in offering the water of life, Jesus is identifying himself with the rock in the wilderness that gave water to the children of Israel. But not only that, he says, I'm the rock. Come to me. Drink. 
He says, and guess what's going to happen to you? Now, out of your stony heart, it's going to flow rivers of living water. And this parallel will not have been lost on those who are hearing them. Paul actually references this in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through, 3, 1 through 4. He says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Paul's saying, the rock in the wilderness, that was Jesus. And I wonder if Paul got this revelation from the disciples giving him testimony of what happened in John chapter 7 when Jesus on the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles stood up and said, come to me and drink. Remember that rock in the wilderness? Come to me. And out of your heart now will flow rivers of living water. So, I have six observations from John 7, verses 37 through 39. And we'll get through all six, hopefully in about 10 minutes. And if I don't get through all six, the notes are online. You can go to our Wednesday night sermons online. And right under where you can listen to the teaching, it's, there's a link to download the notes. So in John chapter 7, the first observation is that things are pretty hostile. Things just continue to get more hostile and more hostile in the book of John and in the other Gospels, quite honestly. So Jesus, in this chapter, the first few verses, his brothers are being hostile toward him. His brothers are saying, why don't you go up to Jerusalem and really declare yourself to be the Messiah? If you are doing these works and if you are saying these things about you, don't do it in kind of secret or in hiddenness up in Galilee. Do it amongst the leaders of Jerusalem and tell them who you are. And it says, for even his brothers did not believe in him. Now, this was James who wrote the book of James in our Bible. He was Jesus' brother. It said Jesus appeared to him after the resurrection, and James gives his life to the Lord. And we know that the rest of Jesus' brothers and sisters did too in different references. But... Isn't this just like older brothers and sisters or younger brothers and sisters not to give honor to one of their brothers and sisters? It's a little different. It was Jesus. He never did anything wrong. It's like, he never does anything wrong. That would make me a little mad if I was a brother. So it says his brothers don't believe in him. In verse 12 of chapter 7, it says there's much complaining about him amongst the people. In verse 20 in chapter 7, they accuse him of having a demon. Jesus was accused five times in the gospel for having a demon. The one whom before he came, elders and angels were worshiping him, saying, holy, holy, holy. And he comes down, and we, under the curse, say he has a demon. <laughs> we don't get him. Two times they say, you're casting out demons, by the power of Beelzebub, by the power of demons. In John chapter 7, they say that he has a demon because he's saying people are trying to kill him. In John chapter 8, they accuse him of having a demon because I can't remember right now. And in John chapter 10, they say he has a demon because he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the shepherd of Israel. 
He was saying, that Zechariah 11 shepherd that you read about for a while, the shepherd that took you through the wilderness, I'm the good shepherd. And right after that, they say, he had a demon. So, again, hostile in John 7. They seek to capture him two times in John 7. In verse 30 and verse 34, and verse 44. And that isn't the priest sending the guards to try to arrest him. These are crowds trying to seize him and capture him. So three times in John chapter 7, they're trying to take him away and really to kill him, to do harm to him, maybe to stone him. The Pharisees and the chief priests send guards to arrest him. They can't arrest him. Jesus just speaks to them. My time has not yet come. You don't know where I'm going. They come back to the Pharisees. They say, no one's ever talked like this man. We, we, don't, we can't do what you're asking us to do. The Pharisees are upset. They mock him for their, they mock the guards and they mock Jesus in their unbelief. So here's the deal. Jesus is surrounded by enemies in John chapter 7. And he opens his arms at the Feast of Tabernacles to his enemies. And he says, if you are thirsty, come to me and drink. If you are thirsty, I will give you living waters that flow from your heart. If you are thirsty, you can partake of me and receive my Holy Spirit at my resurrection. I mean, this is the character of Jesus. He is kind to enemies. In Matthew 5, it says, God, his Father, lets the rain fall on the just and the unjust, and therefore, we should pray for those who persecute us. Therefore, we should do good to those who revile us, because God's doing the same thing. Think of the nations right now. Think of how many people in the nations revile Jesus and revile his Father and he still causes the sun to rise, the sun to set, causes rain to fall on their land, causes the breath in their lungs to be sustained. God is more merciful than we could ever imagine. And he gives chance and chance and time after time for us to come to him. That's what I see in Jesus in this chapter. The second thing is, I just had this question, what does it mean to thirst? Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me. So I got curious. I was looking up the, the Greek word for this word thirst. It's actually used a few times in the New Testament. And it means to suffer from thirst or to painfully feel your lack or to eagerly and desperately long for water. So it's not just a, oh, I'm a little thirsty. I actually am a little thirsty right now. I wish I had a bottle of water. I'm not saying that to anyone to try to get me a bottle of water. All right, there you go. Thank you. But it's not this type of thirst. It's not just, oh, I'm a little parched. I'd like a little drink of water because my mouth is dry. It's a suffering from thirst, and you're about to die. Do we come to Jesus with that type of thirst? Have you ever felt that type of spiritual thirst, that you need Jesus. I remember my son, he went through a time where he was saying he didn't believe in Jesus, and because of that, he couldn't call himself a Christian. 
I just remember that. I didn't remember this in my notes. I'm just remembering this right now. And, and I said, hey, it's okay. Like, that's fine. I want you to be honest with that. I said, do me one thing. He said, I'll do it. He said, whatever, Dad. I said, let's go on a journey and let's look at the scriptures, and I want you to write down all of your questions. Well, he was about nine years old at the time, and he wrote down 20 questions, and about seven of them were the main questions that, like, turned people away from the Lord. And I'm, like, looking at this list, like, oh, boy. <laughs> of course, he ended to me. I was like, cool, we'll answer him. Yeah, that's all right. And so we spent night after night just going through the Bible and seeing if these questions could be answered. And, of course, he would have arguments, and, and uh, this is... This is my son. He's just super analytical um, in a good way. But he's laying on his bed one evening, and something happens, and he comes up to me, comes upstairs, and he has, just has tears in his eyes. He says, he says Dad, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. With tears running down his face, you know. And I'm thinking something's wrong. What's wrong, son? Dad, I, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I'm like, what's going on? What, what happened? He said, I was laying on my bed, and he said, and I knew that if I die tonight, I would go to hell. He's like, I can't explain it, but I have such, he couldn't, he didn't know the word conviction, but he's like, but I know that if I died right now, I would go to hell, and I know that Jesus is the only way. I want to give my life to him. <laughs> that was thirst. That was come to me, him who is thirsty. I have only experienced real thirst, I think, a few times in my life. One is I was training for a marathon, and before you think I'm anything, I didn't finish the training for the marathon, and I didn't run the marathon, okay? But I did try to train for it, okay? And it's like when you move to Colorado, like, marathons are, like, in the water. You're like, yeah, yeah, I'll run a marathon, sure. It's like, it's delusion. It's fantasy. It's not going to happen. You're 35 years old. Don't try this, you know? You're not 18 anymore. So, and my wife was out of town, and I wanted to, uh, I wanted to, I had a long distance uh, uh, in my running schedule, and so I had a friend, and I dropped off my car, and he drove me up to northern Colorado Springs on the Santa Fe Trail, and he dropped me off, and I begin to run this long distance. It's going to take me hours and hours. And about a mile into it, I realized I forgot my water bottle. I forgot my water pack. And I'm in the wilderness on the Santa Fe Trail. And, and I'm like, well, here we go. <laughs> and I run the whole distance without water. And I got to my car. And I remember unlocking the car, and I remember, you know, you're just, I'm like searching for water. You know, I can barely talk. My mouth is parched, and I remember taking that drink of water. There's only been a few times I've thirsted like that, and I wasn't even thirsting to the point of death. Jesus says, to him who is thirsty, let him come to me. Guys, we need the grace of the Holy Spirit to be thirsty like this. I really... Don't think this comes by us stirring ourselves up. We need the Holy Spirit to give us thirst. Now, the crazy thing is, 
is that everyone in the earth is suffering from spiritual thirst like this. Everyone. But no, but not everyone knows they're suffering from thirst. We need the grace of the Holy Spirit to pull back the veil on our eyes and to reveal our thirst and our hunger and to come to Jesus. The human soul has thirst, not a physical thirst. When you go without God, your soul gets thirsty. And the only one that can satisfy you is God. This is what this says. You were made for God. You were made for Jesus. If we don't know this about ourselves, we are in trouble. We really are. Everything Jesus did and all he said point to this reality that we might realize our hunger in John 6 or our thirst in John 7 and we would come to him for drink. Now he says, if you do this, you don't just get one drink. You get a well. You get a spring. You get a fountain flowing from within you, and it's the Holy Spirit, the second person of the Trinity. However your soul needs to be quenched, guess what? You have rivers inside of you to quench it. Why? Because the river maker lives inside your soul. Him who is water lives inside your soul. And the water he gives is free. The only condition is a willing, thirsty heart. He says, that's what I want. He says it in Isaiah chapter 55. He said, come to me and buy you who have no money. Buy food that satisfies and drink water that truly satisfies. Whew, that's good. I like that. Okay. What is the water? Third observation. It's Jesus. Jesus doesn't just provide the water. Jesus is the water. And coming and drinking is what it means to believe in Jesus. Now this is a spiritual renewal the first time we come. Guys, this process has to happen over and over and over again. Coming to Jesus and drinking is believing. Believing is coming and drinking. Coming and drinking is believing. And it just goes in that cycle like this. We're called to return to these wells, guys. In John chapter 4, he says to the woman, he says, I have a drink I can give you. And it'll never run dry. The woman says, give me this drink. He says, the drink and the water I give you, once you taste it, once you drink it, it gets inside of you. And it turns into a well. It turns into a fountain. And you can come back time and time and time again. He says, my well is greater than Jacob's well that you're drinking from right now. Woman in John chapter 4. He says, my well is greater. My water is greater. I'm greater than your father Jacob. I am the water that you're looking for. And I'll just say this. This water is for the refreshing of our own soul, and this water is for the refreshing of those around us. It really is. This water can come out of your mouth, out of your life, out of your heart, and reveal Jesus to the thirsty. And guess what someone dying of thirst does when they see water? They drink. 
We are that rock in the wilderness now. There is a wilderness around us called the world, and we're the rock where water is supposed to flow from. And it does it by the power of the Holy Spirit. The last thing, I'm going to skip five. The sixth observation is, what does it mean that it says, as the scriptures said? It says this, whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now we know it's the Holy Spirit. And I believe as the scriptures have said, means all the Old Testament references that are pointing toward this day. And there are a lot we don't have time to go through them. One that I love, because it, again, is in this idea of being poured out, the Holy Spirit being poured out like water. It says in Joel 2, he says, It shall come to pass afterward in the last day I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. And my male and my female servants, I will pour out my Spirit in that day. And in Isaiah 58, 11, with a very... Similar reference to what Jesus is saying here. He says, and the Lord will guide you continually, saying this of the Lord's people. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Now, I think Jesus has all of the Holy Spirit references in his mind. Greater than that, I believe this speaks of God has planned this for us from the beginning. This reality of walking in communion with the Holy Spirit and being refreshed by Him, by Jesus, by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit of Christ, all the same thing, and letting that Holy Spirit flow from, flow from within us and out of us to the world. God has planned this from the beginning as the Scriptures have said. That verse I read in Isaiah, that was 700 years before Jesus was quoting this. God had been thinking about this day when he would live inside of his people and then when he would flow out of them into the nations of the earth and the nations would come to him. And if God planned this in Isaiah's day, in Jesus' day, this is still God's plan for us. God planned for his son to come into the world to be water, that our souls would be awakened to him. Amen? Amen. Well, we have our wonderful groups where we get to get around and share what the Lord is speaking to us and be encouraged by one another. And before we are dismissed, I'm just going to pray for us, okay? Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for John chapter 7. And I ask you that this reality would be real at the rock. This is reality. That you are water. That you are drink. And that your Holy Spirit lives inside of us for refreshing, for communion, and to make us messengers to the earth. Lord, we ask you that you would do this in us. That you would help us. And even as our church name is called The Rock, Lord, we ask you from our hearts that you would allow water to flow like in the wilderness to our families, to our coworkers, to those in Castle Rock, to those 
around us, to our families during this holiday season. Lord, allow living waters to flow in Jesus' name and bring refreshing to a thirsty world. We love you and we worship you. Amen and amen. All right. You're dismissed. Go talk about Jesus and be fascinated.